Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reals. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. And I'm Amy. And so today, uh, it's going to be a little bit different than how we normally do it. Normally, we just have a regular back and forth. But um, I have been working on a special project for Mama Bear, which we're not going to say what it is right now. But uh, we wanted to make sure to keep up with the podcast. So Amy's done a lot of research on this one. Uh, So I'm going to be talking. uh, So today, we're going to be talking about we're kind of wrapping up our, um, our topics on slavery in the Bible, and which is one of the main things that, well, I don't know, can we even say it's the main thing? It's what he starts and uh, Dawkins starts and ends that one chapter with, and then he has a whole bunch of stuff in between. But his point at the beginning and his point at the end is the Bible got slavery wrong, therefore the Bible's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of tossed in there. It, he doesn't really address it. It's just one of those sort of avalanche tactics where he's just kind of throwing in as much as he can. And that one is just kind of lobbed in and just left to marinate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of is like one of those... Um, what they call the little grenades, like, here's a question I have, and it goes kablooey, and I'm not going to address it. I'm just going to, you know, hope that it it catches someone's faith and blows it up. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, he doesn't really address it. So, you know, that's what we're going to do is we're going to take time to address it. Um, So we are, the first two episodes that we did on this, we were following my husband's talk on does the Bible condone slavery? And so today we're going to talk about kind of the main questions that that Christians have or that atheists have against Christians in terms of slavery. And we're going to try to do just like a real quick answer to each one of these. Um, You know, we can't do a full answer just for time constraints, but we want to really address the main ones. So I'm going to tell you what the eight questions are that we're going to talk about. Uh, These are, number one, what are the main verses regarding slavery that people reference? Uh, Number two, what is the main argument against Christianity regarding slavery? Like if we were going to boil down this argument into a single, like, you know, six points, what would that look like so that we know exactly what it is that we're answering? Uh, Number three, does condoning slavery mean that slavery is endorsed? This is a big one. Uh, Number four, what did slave mean in the Old Testament? Also a big one. Number five, who could become a slave and why? That one's got a quick answer. (laughs) That one is our probably fastest one. Yeah, that'll be the fast one. Number six, what does it mean when it calls a slave property? And so we're going to look at the verse that talks about that. Number seven, what kind of protections did slaves have? And number eight, why didn't God have New Testament Christians just release all slaves? So I think these are some of the the biggies that we do. And since I have been working on the special project, Amy is the one who has done more research on this. So I'm going to be kind of doing this almost like a... Uh, interview style so she can share with y'all all the awesome research that she did on this. Um, but before we get into this, I want to talk about something that I was finding to be a main issue 
when I was looking at a lot of the verses regarding slavery. Mm. And so anyone who has read the Mama Bear Apologetics book is familiar with the term linguistic theft. Linguistic theft being uh, taking a word that everybody already knows the definition to and purposely changing the definition in order to uh, promote an agenda. Because if you can take a word that everybody already agrees with and you change the definition, you can actually make them agree to something that they wouldn't normally agree to. Yes. So all of chapter four in the Mama Bear book is about this. Um, but I've kind of discovered that there's a couple other things that aren't quite linguistic theft. One of them I would call linguistic baggage, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is similar to theft. But it's this idea that we have a word. It's not that the definition has been purposely changed. It's more like it has so many negative connotations, kind of, like we said, it's like baggage on this word that people don't even know how to think of it. It's like they have this idea in their head. And what I think is the root of this is going all the way back, surprise, surprise, to the Tower of Babel. Mm. Uh, so I'm just going to read a passage real quick. And dang it, we don't have the... Well, the, uh, the, the link to the, this passage will be in the podcast notes. And again, if you would like to have the detailed podcast notes that goes over everything, uh, our $10 Patreons get the detailed podcast notes, and then there's an abbreviated version for everyone. Um, but so here, here's the verse about Babel. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And by nothing they set out to do, he's basically says, he's meaning any kind of evil they want to accomplish is mm. going to be possible. It's not like anything is going to be possible, but it's like there's no end to the kind of evil. He said, come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Now, this is commonly used to mean like different languages, like I can't understand French and a Frenchman probably can't understand me unless he knows English. But I think there's a second problem to this that people don't really talk about. And that is, uh, there are certain words in certain languages that don't have really a full translation in other in other languages. Mm. So I came into this problem when I was studying Old Testament law in the fall, and trying to compare it with New Testament law. And what I found was there was like 12 or 13 different words for the different types of laws in Hebrew. And in scripture, in the New Testament, there was only two in the Greek. It was like uh, really? entole and nomos. Yeah. And so that's such a like stark the, difference that that's surprising. Yeah. Well, I mean, we see that happen in with the word love, like the the, the number of words in Greek for love. I, I always thought there was just four. Someone told me that there's six. So apparently there's two more that I am not familiar with. But um, if you're trying to talk about love in English, uh, you're going to really have to clarify what you say. And so this is something that I want us to really be able to talk to our kids about. And um, I think this is kind of what we have going on is that we have basically one word for slave. Mm. And one understanding. Yeah. 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 And one understanding. We've got, you know, basically chattel slavery from uh, pre-Civil War. And that is the only concept that we have of slave. Mm. And so we have to understand that uh, when God says he's going to confuse languages, he confuses languages. And um, so this is the first thing that I would like, I think would be helpful to get across with kids. So Amy and I, let's talk about some of the words like, uh, let's let, well, let's start out with the big one. 
love. But yeah, you like you were saying with love, I mean, you can have a kid that says, I love Doritos. But <laughs> if he then says, I love mom, he probably doesn't mean the same type of affection for the Doritos uh, as he does for mom. So there's yep. a big difference there. So we, we've got three words that you can use with your kids to get this concept across that sometimes when you read a verse and you read a word that's in a verse, if that word has a lot of well baggage to mm-hmm. it, let's recognize that maybe this maybe is that how he was meant in the previous, you know, in the, in the Bible. So the first one is love. Ask your children what's a food that they love most and then ask them. No, who's a person or persons, that way they can include both parents, <laughs> that they love most. Hopefully they don't pick, you know, one direction as, as your kids in the class that you taught did. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Yeah, we'll get to that one. Uh, and ask them, okay, so you love, you know, favorite food, pudding, Doritos, whatever, and you love mom and dad. Ask them, is it the same kind of love? Mm. They're hopefully let's let's cross our fingers on this one. Hopefully they're going to say, well, no, that's not the same kind of love. Yeah. And then emphasize, okay, so what we're saying is we can use a word that has radically different means, can't we? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we can. This is entering this category into their brain of sometimes there's words that have different meanings. Uh, So another example is uh, that Amy and I came up with is destroyed. So Amy, what are some of the ways that you've heard destroyed used? Oh my gosh, my 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 oldest knew this one all too well this year because his his basketball season was pretty bad, and so they they would often say after they get done. There was one game where it was seventy to three, and they were they were the ones that got three. And he would come home and be like, "We were utterly destroyed." But you know that obviously means that you know they got stomped in their their poor basketball game but you know if you were let's say in an ancient culture if you were to go and destroy a city obviously it's going to mean something totally different or even if you've got uh, someone who goes to one dollar chicken wing night and they say oh i utterly destroyed some chicken wings again we've got even a third (laughs) way of understanding just one word and what i love about looking at some of these words and we're just given two and we'll give a third one is that it starts getting your kids to start thinking critically and listening active actively listening where they're like, okay, wait, in what context are they meaning this? Or what could they possibly mm. mean? And it sort of gets them, instead of thinking just on this surface level, they start diving deep and go, oh, wait, what What do you mean by that exactly? So most of the time exactly. that's... Yeah, it's easy to discern sometimes. Other times it's not. But it's good to get them in that habit because so mm. many people nowadays, they're not doing that. They're just taking things at face value and either flying off the handle or making assumptions. And uh, it's just a way to help your kids to think better. Yeah. And this would be one of those things where I think, I mean, there's so many teaching opportunities. When you see a word that's being used in a way that can uh, mean two different ways, ask your kid, like, you know, for this thing, it says, oh, we got destroyed to say, oh, really? Did every, you know, this gets kind of (laughs) dark. Did everybody die in the the building burned down? Oh, no. So you mean destroyed has a different meaning. Okay. And they are, remember, I said this in the Mama Bear book, when your kids start rolling their eyes, that's a sign you're doing something right. Yay. Uh, (laughs) Because it means that they're picking up on this message and they're rolling their eyes because it's like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. And if they're saying, okay, I get it to the point of the, where they're rolling your eye, their eyes, go mama bear. Yeah, you're making <laughs> some competent kiddos. You're getting some competent kiddos. Um, and so the third word that we uh, used, and I, I would love to hear if you want to add stuff in the comments of words that you think that can be used. The other one is baby. Mm-hmm. Let's think of all the different ways we can use the word baby. Um, so a baby could mean an actual baby, like this little infant toddler, whatever that you're holding. But 
when you see two people who are in love, <laughs> what do they say to each other? Oh, baby, I love you. Oh, you're baby, my baby or my boo my or yeah. Or my mom calls me. It's like her name for me is baby girl. And she's, she's asked me before, does that bother you? And I'm like, no, I love it. I like being her baby girl. We stole from the Goldbergs uh, schmoop. And so that's what we call all our voices. <laughs> like, hey, schmoopaloo. So we like to do it. And we like to do it in front of their friends, too, just to just to let them know that we can. You get extra mom points if you create a, a, like a sign for his basketball game. And it's like, I love my schmoop. I want to get the ones where they blow up the picture of their heads. And and do, oh, I want to do it so bad. So maybe in the future, like if he's getting particularly sassy, I'm going to show up extra mom support <laughs> and just have like this big head waving around. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be great. Man, I swear that's I mean, that is one of the things that I feel like I've missed out on on not having my own children is there's just something beautiful about being able to embarrass your children with your love. <laughs> with like your you're love, not trying yes. to embarrass them with actual embarrassing stuff. You're not going to go start talking about the time they wet the bed. But if you try to embarrass them by showing how much you love them, there's something beautiful about that. Something sacred about a parent's right to do that. Yes, yes. Well, you can come. <laughs> you can come to the to the ball game when we do that, and I'll we'll do like we'll get two yes. heads or something. It'll be awesome. Oh my gosh, I'm totally in. I am so totally in. Oh, thanks for inviting me on family night. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is the idea of I. We would like you to just be really getting it into your kids' heads that there are words that have multiple meanings. And so when they hear something that sounds really inflammatory, their first thought should be, what is the context? And does this mean the same in that language as it means in this language? Or are there multiple definitions to that? These are things that it's like, you keep asking these enough. In fact, I would say if, 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 if you can, write these down on a note card and keep it somewhere where you can see it. And just every time you hear something, I swear, it's like you don't even have to like set aside all this family time to make things happen. If you understand how to make all these different opportunities, a teaching opportunity that just come up naturally, um, and you just have these certain questions, you start asking them there, your kids are going to start internalizing these questions to where when they see something when they're not around you, they're going to start asking these questions for themselves. And that Yes. Mama bears and Papa bears. That's the kid that we want to be going out into culture. Oh, absolutely. And being questioning things. Well, and it's so great, too, because you'll be sitting there and if there's something on TV or on the news or a commercial, we've had it to where, you know, they'll say something and my kids just stop and they go, oh, and they stop and look and they're like, mom, did you hear that? And it's like, oh, yes. What, do you, what did they say? You know, and it's such a great opportunity for the kids to be able to be listening to what's actually being said. And it's it's awesome to see the little lights go off and be like, wait a second. We need to, I'm trying to think of a way I'm like, either we need to have like a mama bear victory dance when they say something that's like totally picking up on all these things that we're trying to instill in them, or maybe have something like every time they pick up on something, you put a dollar in the jar and at the end of the year, they get all of it. So they are <laughs> actively looking for stuff to point out. And, you know, if it makes you go broke, you know what? Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Um, where you can even do it like a family thing. It's like, okay, guys, when we start implementing some of this stuff, we're going to put like a quarter in the jar, a dollar in the jar. And then we're going to go mm-hmm. to, we have got a place here called Shenanigans that you can go and laser tag oh, and bowling or something. That's a good idea. That way you're not just like dumping a load of cash on them. <laughs> <laughs> Which they will support, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But this is something where I think if you make it a game and make it to where whatever money we raise, that's how much fun we're going to have at this, you know, going to, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. Yeah. Um, and teaching them to ask these questions. It's like we, we are trying to just ingrain them into being question askers uh, in order to get to the real root cause. There's a phrase that Dennis Prager says, which is clarity above agreement. Mm. 
And uh, people are always, they're aiming so much for agreement that a lot of times they don't even know what they're agreeing to or what they're disagreeing with. And so this idea of having clarity, asking questions gives you clarity. Uh, And so that's our goal. Anyway, we're going really long on this. Let's start getting to the actual questions. Okay. So we're going to take a look, and there's there's a whole bunch of verses that we're going to be looking at today. Is We're going to be looking at big chunks of the Old Testament. So we're going to be hitting in um, Deuteronomy. We're going to be into Leviticus, specifically uh, Leviticus 25, because it's just a huge chapter uh, dealing with um, what you're supposed to be doing with bondservants, slaves, uh, all these different instances. Um, Deuteronomy mm-hmm. also ties in on that. So we're going to be bouncing around. So we will give those specific references, not only in the notes, but also as we're hitting them specifically as we're going through question by question. And, um, you know, as the nature of the beast is, a a question can be really short. It can be a fraction of a sentence, but the answer can take books, if not lifetimes. (laughs) So we do ask for, we do ask for grace here as we're trying to give um, some really sort of quick answers to this to help get you thinking a little more and to help provide a little bit of context. So if Mm -hmm. we don't hit everything, uh, I ask for grace. Feel free to comment and say if there's something you would like more addressed, um, and then we'll we'll see what we can do. Yep. And so we won't be able to get to all the verses, so we're going to probably include more of those in the podcast notes. Um, But we'll uh, I'll I'll have you do just a couple of the main ones. So Amy, won't you talk about the the main ones that you think people have the biggest problem with? So the ones that I know hit people pretty hard is Leviticus 25, 40 through 46, which we it hopefully we'll be able to get to today. And that's dealing specifically with female slaves. Um, there's a mm. lot of baggage there. Again, the whole slavery thing's awful. And then when you think of females, uh, often ladies, we uh, can get the short end of the stick when it comes especially to ancient cultures and practices. So I really wanted to, mm-hmm. to look into that. Um, we're going to be looking at Leviticus 19, uh, 21 through 20, or excuse me, 20 through 21, and also 29 just in there again how to deal with slaves interacting with them and then uh, Leviticus 25 touches on priests owning slaves so we're talking about people within the priesthood who are actually owning slaves which people are like well why would we do this and then um, oh gosh it's just slipping my mind too I believe that's the um, Leviticus 19:20, but I'll go back and, and check but also the one dealing with punishments as well when it mm. comes to slavery because yeah. the biggest one that you often hear is well if a slave is beaten but he gets up within a day or two well then there's no punishment for the slave owner um, but if he dies uh, then the slave owner is punished and so people you know really see that one as you know why would this be allowed so we're gonna look again at the context and hopefully put um, just put it in perspective because sometimes that verse especially and i know that josh mcdowell has dealt with this one as well is that one gets twisted a bit to make it seem a a lot worse than what it is and it's also inputting a bunch of stuff that isn't there just to yeah it's almost like they're they make it into like you're commanding to beat the slaves oh yeah within an inch of their life you know you could totally do that as long as they get up in a day or two you're fine and that's that's not what it's saying at all and we're going to see that as we look at a lot of these other verses to where sometimes what's important is to is when we're looking at scripture is not just focus on the law but we also need to understand the other commandments and the designed for humanity in as well. We need that whole picture concept. Yeah. I I like what you had uh, talked about earlier about how in the New Testament, when they're talking about divorce and they're saying, well, you know, Moses said we could do this. And Jesus said, it was because your hearts were hard that I allowed this, but that's not how it was in the beginning. And so one of the things that we need to understand when we are looking at scripture is there, there's the ideal and the ideal is going to be located in the beginning. Yeah. And then after that, we're going to have a bunch of jacked up culture that the Lord's trying to work 
in in the midst of this jacked up culture, yeah. how can we make this jacked up culture a little less jacked up? I just said the word jacked up like a thousand times. <laughs> it's great. It brought me back to basic training. That's how they always referred to everybody messing up. It's your jacked up trainee. So it's awesome. <laughs> Bring, brought back great memories. Yes, but yeah. but no, you're you're right. It's that perversion of the original design and mm-hmm. and just what happens is this is this was God's design. This was him saying this is how it's supposed to be. And then you see yeah. the perversion of that design through people's sin and then God having to work to sort of um to to fix the mindset uh of these folks. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to include the full list uh, in the podcast notes. We can't go through all of them, but as we're going through these, you're going to hear some of those. So we're going to go on to Uh, Question number two, what is the main argument against Christianity regarding slavery? Uh, So, uh, Amy, you came down to kind of like a argument with six main points, you know, I guess five premises and a conclusion. So why don't you go over that? Okay, so this is, you'll hear this a lot, maybe not as as concise as this yeah condensed as this that people are not not going to come up to you in starbucks and be like well i have six points to go over with you you know they're (laughs) usually just going to throw something a little more concise out or condensed out that you'll notice but usually is you know the the bible translations when you read the scriptures they do talk about slaves and slavery Mm -hmm. and how to treat your slaves that you have enslaved in your house and well you read the first the six points first and then go over them each individually yeah Okay, so we've got uh, number one is Bible translations do talk about slaves. Two, the Old Testament gives no objection to having slaves. Three, the New Testament does not command the release of slaves and slaves are told to submit. Four, therefore biblical texts approve of slavery. Five, we know that slavery is wrong. Six, therefore the biblical texts approve of something that is wrong. And of course, then people would, would take that over and just say, well, therefore God is immoral. And, and that would just be a springboard into why you have to toss away the Bible because of it recording instances of slavery. Yeah. And I think if you if you can really internalize those six points, even if someone doesn't come right out and say those, you are going to recognize these six points in what they're saying. And this is just a really good way to, like like Amy said, a, a concise, condensed uh, version of the argument. You'll recognize it when people are talking about slavery. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you'll you'll see, too, is, you know, there's there's no objection to having slave. We've we've covered this instance or not this specific instance, but sort of this concept in other podcasts where we've talked about, you know, the Bible is descriptive as well as prescriptive. And Mm -hmm. we're going to when we read the Bible, you're not just not just reading by God's commands, but you're actually reading sort of a survey of a culture and not just the good cultures and everything. We're seeing bad, depraved cultures. We're seeing cultures in transition. So, I mean, it's, it's it's that whole messy mix of everything. And so if yeah. we go at every single scripture and say, okay, well, if this is in the Bible, then it has to be approved of by God, then we're going to run into some serious issues pretty fast. Ooh, and can I just say something that I think there's a there's a TV show out that actually depicts what this would look like if we were to take everything that in, is in the Bible and make it a prescriptive? Oh, really? What is yeah. that? Uh, Handmaid's Tale. Oh my gosh! Yes. Well, and that even that even uh, twisted even more. Gosh, that'd be a whole. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, we so got to do that most, podcast. Yeah, I, I don't recommend watching that for most people. Um, I prayed about it, and I kind of felt like the Lord saying, "You need to watch this because you need to know what arguments are being made." And it was really uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, to watch, and it's got a lot of really disturbing content in it. Mm-hmm. But I find that the Lord gives me a, a little bit more permission with certain things that I watch because it really helps teach me about what's going on in culture. Not everybody has that same permission, so I just want to recognize that. 
But anyway, that that show is basically what would happen if we took everything descriptive and made it prescriptive. And this is what culture is trying to say that Christians are trying to do. And so it's, it's always good to understand what you're I don't want to say enemy. That's the wrong word. What your opponent thinks you're thinking, shall yeah. we say? Oh, well, just to, to tag off that um, is especially with that show, too. It's it's not also it's not always what the Bible is saying, but it was actually twist to scripture because I ended up reading the book because, again, it, w- it was everywhere. I was like, OK, this is becoming a cultural phenomenon. You have these women standing outside of courthouses dressed up in these outfits. Why are they doing this? And so yes. I, uh, I I grabbed the book and I read it and I, I thought it was really fascinating because there were some very important themes within the book that were purposely left out of the TV show to twist it and even more make oh, the wow. biblical standpoint look bad. I mean, there was a point... Um, where the author actually wrote within the book, she goes, uh, it's it's Alfred who's praying. And she says, um, God, I know this isn't what you wanted because mm. this isn't how it was. And yeah. and that's left out. I kept waiting for that as I because I read the book and I was like, OK, let me see how the show's going. And so I was watching along the show and I'm like, OK, the, the scene's coming, this revelation that even Alfred and, and uh, the handmaids know that this is a perversion of scripture. This isn't even what the Bible was talking about, but it never happened. And mm. I was like, wait a second. And I was like, no wonder this has just really been taking off within culture because it's not even it's not even faithfully representing that aspect of the book, let alone scripture. So you've got kind of this double whammy of this dystopian yeah. future perverting scripture to oppress women and exploit them and then they aren't even representing the original author who is actually putting this in as hey this this isn't what was this isn't how it was actually meant to be that's why they they got yeah. rid of all the bibles in in yep. in um oh gosh i'm trying to think of what they what they called it um gilead I wanted to say Pan Am. Ah, yeah, Wrong yeah. dystopian Gilead. movie. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to answer the, these six main points? Or are we going to answer them in some of the other questions? I think we're going to answer them um, in the in the other sections. Uh, they are kind of tied in there. If they're not, you know, please let me know. I'll, I'll go back through. But um, again, you know, when it comes to number two, the Old Testament gives no objection about slavery. That that doesn't mean that, that it's endorsing it. And we'll get to that here in yeah. a second. Um, the release of slaves, we're going to touch on that too. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, actually, we're going to hit these. So let's just go ahead and move on. Okay. Uh, So I guess number three is what you were talking about. Does condoning slavery mean that slavery is endorsed? And you had a lot of really interesting thoughts on that, especially going back to this idea of when we look at certain words, and maybe it's not linguistic theft, maybe it's not linguistic baggage, maybe it is just a legitimate, you know, it's kind of morphed over time. And you had some good thoughts on what does it mean to condone? So what did, does the condoning slavery mean that slavery is endorsed? What are your thoughts? Not 100% of the time. And that's where I love um, Merriam-Webster. You know, it's it's so great when you can go on uh, and just Google search a word and see um, the differences here. And I love this because Merriam-Webster actually incorporates a, co- a caveat into the word condone. Because when you look it up, it's, it's Latin for, and forgive my pronunciation, um, Condonaire, I believe is how how you pronounce it, and it's it's uh, it's got a couple different meanings. It can the first one was to refrain from punishing, similar to tolerate, mm. um, and then it also but does not always mean to approve of and endorse. And this is what I thought was so fascinating is this was directly under the word, um, and this is from the the folks who who write this amazing dictionary is since folks. And they actually put that since some folks don't condone (laughs) even minor usage slips, you might want to get to the meaning of or the meaning of this word straight. Although English speakers sometimes use condone with the intended meaning of approve of or encourage, the more established meaning, don't miss this, is closer to pardon or overlook. 
Mm. And I think that's what's what's really important. That's where we see a lot of this discussion kind of going awry is people are using, oh, well, it's it's condoned, meaning it's allowed to happen. Therefore, it's approved of. And yeah. no, no, that, that's not the case. Uh, there are many things that we tolerate whether it's, you know, behavior of your own kids that you put up with for maybe, you know, some sort of teaching thing that you're, you're working toward, or maybe you're, you're, um, there's something going on with your neighbors or political party. I mean, this can go all different ways. You can, you can condone something without tolerating it. And we see this in scripture all the time. God puts up with some pretty awful behavior. Um, he's, ref- you mean you can condone without approving of? Right. Yeah. Condone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Refraining without punishing. Um, we see this happening yeah. within scripture that God does do this. Um, But that doesn't mean that he approves of it. We do this in our own lives with how we interact with folks. uh, And I believe that we see this within scripture too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing it's, and it's kind of funny, you see this now coming up in society is there was just, um, there were several news uh, things going on as um, polygamy, you know, that's that's been outlawed. Mm. Um, And even within God's original design, it was never supposed to be, um, you know, one man and and several women. In fact, it's it's (coughs) funny if you track uh, through scripture, um, when polygamy started to take hold, every person who has more than one wife, it always goes bad. Like really, it always goes bad. Every single time. I mean, like we literally, have argue, uh, you know this whole thing between uh, the was it the Palestinians and the Israelites all traced all the way back to because Abraham's wife was like here take my maidservant and so we have the the descendants of um, oh my gosh I'm drawing a blank Ishmael the yes. descendants of Ishmael against the descendants of of Isaac and it's like it is traced back all the way there yeah again we've I've said before in previous podcasts that a lot of times. The Old Testament really is kind of like trailing, uh, you know, it's a series of one failure to the next. And every time you see polygamy happening, bad things happen, you know, rivalries get started. Um, Two nations are formed that are still fighting, you know, how many thousands of years later. It's just, yeah. Yeah, It makes Thanksgiving awkward. So, (laughs) so, but I mean, you you do, I mean, even nowadays, uh, Utah, they just passed a law to try and sort of, they haven't decriminalized it fully, but they're, they're making it to where it's more of like a misdemeanor type of thing mm-hmm. um, yeah. for polygamy nowadays. I mean, this is becoming a new thing. We've got abortion now that is legal um, within our society, recreational drug use. I mean, and this is stuff that we've seen also within the Old Testament. So there are things that exist within culture that we don't like, we don't approve of, but there are some things that, that God does condone that he doesn't punish quite yet because there's there's other things going on behind the scenes too that we have to take into account. So I think it's important yeah. to understand the difference there is when somebody says, well, if you if you tolerate or if you condone X, whatever that may be, then you endorse it. And no, that's that's not the case. You can just ask them of any instance in their life where, OK, so you're saying that if you tolerate this or you condone this, um, then then therefore you you approve of it, you encourage it, that sort of thing. And they'll very quickly backtrack because, again, it's, it yeah. just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So let's talk about number four. What did slave mean in the Old Testament? And again, this is where I think one of the biggest things happened. This would be one of those those hugely linguistic baggage words because all we have in our mind is the chattel slavery from pre-Civil War. Um, and so we have to look at what did that mean in the Old Testament? And again, as we talked about, when you're going through with your kids, all these different words like love and um, destroyed and baby and stuff like that. Think of your own ones where it's like, you know, got different kinds of meanings, we need to make sure that they realize the same is true for the word slave. So Amy, tell us, what did the word slave mean in the Old Testament? 
Well, in the Old Testament, the the word slave wasn't used very often at all. In fact, the the original Hebrew um, abed, or sometimes translated as aved, is can be translated slave, but it also can be translated bond servant. It can be translated servant. It most oftentimes refers to the nature of the work that the person was doing. So if we're going mm-hmm. in uh, to reading scripture and we've sort of got it in our heads that slave is this one exact thing, then they w- we would actually be kind of doing some some poor hermeneutics because that wasn't always the case, especially if we're imagining these these poor oppressed people that we often think of in the antebellum, antebellum South. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. And I'd like to, oh. I'd like to mention, though, I, I think sometimes Christians, when they're trying to do this, they try to make every instance this idea of bond, servant, and slave, and it kind of like whitewash the times when yeah. that wasn't what it meant. And so we have to be faithful to Scripture and say that wasn't always the case. Because I, w- I would say the bond, servant, and the slave, kind of like the abed and the servant in general, it was basically like having a, a, a full-time job with benefits. And instead of being paid money because they didn't have a currency system, you were paid in all your basic needs, your your, your food, your um, your housing, um, probably, you know, if I don't know how many doctors they had back then, you know, whatever healthcare you kind of needed, that was all provided for. And so that was uh, what you worked for. It, it wasn't the same thing that we have today where we actually have currency. They did what, what they could. And you could, you could, totally toss your slave out if, if you thought they were doing a bad job. And that would be kind of like the same thing as getting fired. And because we do see in the old, uh, actually in the New Testament, where it's talking about that parable of the day workers, mm-hmm. is you had the people that were basically standing around trying to get hired for day work. And we and we even see that in America sometimes. Uh, I know back when I lived in Texas, you would see, you know, these whole gaggles of people kind of standing around and they wait for, you know, construction vehicles to come up and take a couple of day workers. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that is not preferable to full-time work. People would usually prefer full-time work. And so a lot of times these uh, these slaves or these bond servants, it was basically like having a full-time job with benefits. However, just because that existed doesn't mean that's how it always was. Right. Um, so we can't we can't overstate this case, but we have to acknowledge that this was the case in a lot of instances. Yeah, and I think that happened because they were. I think a lot of churches and things were seeing that argument of, oh, well, if there's slavery, then it only meant this type of slavery. Therefore, God was doing mm-hmm. something immoral. And I think that was maybe a reaction of some churches trying to say, well, no, that's that's not what God meant. And there were instances where there was slavery, there were servanthood, there was bond servant, there, there was different types in there. So yeah, it is yeah. Important, important to understand. But as we'll get to shortly, there were also a lot of um, protections. There were laws. There were things that when, when we start discussing um, the protections around slavery, you would not have seen that in the Annabelle himself. And honestly, you didn't see it in other slave cultures as well. If you mm-hmm. have ever spent any time looking at the Code of Hammurabi, I mean, it is it is brutal. Uh, same with Roman um, ideas of slavery and that sort. It is very different from the Hebrew uh, understanding of bond servants, slaves, servants, um, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also say that it's like, a, again, we always try to judge a previous culture for not using solutions that we have now. Yeah. So think about the idea of when you go to war with a, a people, you could have the option of basically you you have to kill them or you can take them as slaves, which would essentially be kind of like our prisoners of war. But we they didn't have these elaborate jail systems where they could keep prisoners of war. So you, it's like someone could decide, you know, do I want to come in and, and be a slave and have the protections that we're going to talk about in a second that God gave, which are basically 
light years ahead of all the other cultures, like you just said, the way they were, how they were allowed to treat slaves. Like even slaves, they were required to allow them to have the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. That was not heard of in ancient cultures. You worked them till they died. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, the, you know, since you didn't have prisoners of war, since you didn't have a standing uh, prison system, uh, this was the option. And because, like, you can't say, oh, we'll just let all of you go. They get mad, they come back, and they conquer you. It's just, you know, we'd love it for it not to be that way, but that's how it was. Um, yeah. And so this was giving them an option to basically, what's the word where you wave the white flag? Surrender? Yeah. Uh, to surrender and be provided for. Can you imagine that? They are surrendering and they're being provided for. Mm. You know, it's interesting because I was when I was doing research on this, I, it was something that I hadn't ever known uh, before. I was looking through some of the commentaries and it was actually a common practice for when a city was being conquered and sort of the night before you were going to be conquered, because I guess people just sort of understood like there's been this siege around the city for so long. We're obviously we're not going to make it. We know that the other army is going to come in and they're going to take over. One of the common practices was for the ladies, they would actually put on their best dresses, their best attire and try and look as good as possible, because if they looked more appealing than, you know, maybe they could just be taken in and that sort. Um, and so I just thought that was just really kind of one of those interesting, it's, it's sad, obviously, but facts about, okay, mm -hmm. if we if we know that we're going to be conquered, I need to make myself look as appealing as possible, whether that's physically, whether like in Daniel's case, it was his skills, his intelligence, as well as his good mm -hmm. looks, you know, so that way I can sort of survive yeah. within this culture that is very different from our own. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of takes us right into uh, number five. And I, I think mm -hmm. this is an important thing is, is one of the things servanthood and servanthood is talking about slavery, that sort of thing, too, existed in Israel precisely because poverty existed. This was from mm. Paul Copen. It was, I mean, not only for... What book is that from? Uh, this is Paul Copen's book, Is God a Moral Monster? I highly recommend okay. it. He he goes yes, over this issue too. so well. Um but it was also, it wasn't just a way of, okay, you've conquered, now you have all these extra people. Well, you know, you can bring them into your household and they can now become uh, watchers over your flock. Or in the case of women, they can tend to household things, uh, help with children, that sort of thing. It was also um, a way for you to provide for your family. Because, you know, yeah. back in the day, if you had a bad crop, if uh, some sort of blight came through and all of your sheep died, you had no way to feed your family. And so mm -hmm. it was it was a very common practice practice, not only among Hebrews, but among other uh, nations to, you would basically put yourself in indentured servanthood. You would say, okay, mm -hmm. especially for Hebrews, this would last um, six years. You would be free on the seventh. Um, it's actually really fun. This is kind of how uh, the, you know how your credit report, you'll have something on your credit and it's, it only stays on there seven years. It's, it's a bit like that, you know, in that seventh year, <laughs> it's all forgiven. And so it's, it's kind of funny, like, oh, your credit report sort of takes after this. Um, but what it was is, is, especially if you have, if you were a Hebrew, you know, you could sell your yourself into indentured servanthood and you would um, be taken on for a job. It could be you. It could be you could also your wife and your children could sign up. Um, there were some folks who uh, there if they didn't have a dowry for or a bride price for their son or their daughter, they would have their son or daughter go and work in a household for a number of years until they worked off this bride price. And you see, Jacob, mm -hmm. he went to Laban and yeah. said, hey, I'm going to work for you for seven years for Leah. Again, seven years. Um, Actually, it was Rachel, 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 not Leah. Leah got first. Uh, or Leah. He, he got Leah, and then he said, yeah. "Dang it!" So he ended up getting <laughs> fourteen poor years. Leah. But, um, but yeah. So this was uh, part of this slavery that existed was because there was no backup. I mean, there there was there no was backup no, plan. 
loan program. They did not have banks no. that you could get, uh, you know, get loans. They did not have debt forgiveness where someone would cover it. You you did not have, um, what are some, you know, putting your house on, what is it, you know, remortgaging your house. Yeah. You did not have any of the options that we had. This is a way for people to provide for themselves and provide for their families. Um, and then again, like like it talks about in scripture for the Hebrews, there was a, there was a set time limit, and uh, and the Lord says over and over again, He reminds them of how they were slaves in Egypt, and basically don't treat your slaves like that, and don't treat your servants like that. Oh, absolutely, I, and I love that point because you do you see that throughout scriptures, God is constantly reminding the people, is like, look, this used to be where you were. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Don't repeat the sins uh, that were committed against you. And so you yeah. see this modeling of how the constant reminder of their humanity and how they were once slaves and and mm-hmm. to show compassion because that used to be you. Yeah. So, you know, just for giggles, remind us what the short version is of the question of who could become a slave? Who could become a slave? Everybody. Everybody. Everybody can become a slave. If you're a Hebrew who lost everything, you could be a slave. If your parents couldn't provide for their kids, they, you didn't want your kid to starve. So you would actually give them over to a household where at least they would have their basic needs met, their food, that potentially could have school. Um, they could be trained, that sort of thing. And again, you could always come back and end up raising up that money, especially if you had some some other family members who maybe they could pay to redeem them. Um, mm-hmm. We see this in Ruth too, Kinsman Redeemer. It's, it's that whole redeeming of the person to where they could actually come back and get their child back. So it wasn't supposed to be a, um, it was supposed to be something that you only did it for, that you absolutely had to do it and you could actually be redeemed out of that, whether you're freed by the people who owned you, either in the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years, um, if you've worked off for the seven years, you're good to go, um, or a manumission for folks who were not Hebrew. uh, Basically, you were freed or you could earn your own freedom by saving up money. So yes, everybody could end up being a slave and there were uh, the potential for everyone to get out of it. For Hebrews, it was Mm -hmm. guaranteed year of Jubilee in it every seven years. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, for especially for the Hebrews, if you decided, wow, I'm really well provided for, it'd be like being at a really great job that they treat you really, really well. And you decide I'm I'm on for life here. I like it here. I like my family here because you really did become part of the household. And people try to make this argument as if this happened in the antebellum South. And I'm sure it happened in some places, but a majority of it was that was not the case. Um, So again, we cannot compare anything that's going on in the Old Testament to what was going on and antebellum pre-Civil War South, not the same thing. Well, yeah, and you can, and there was instances that this did occur because we have obviously laws preaching against it. So you don't have a law unless mm-hmm. someone did it. It's kind of like those, you know, kind of those stupid rules, like don't <laughs> run with this in your mouth and you know someone did it. That's why they have to have it. So you oh, knew yeah, that the, it the, did occur. It? I like reading the the warning signs on things like for the curling irons, you will always see on curling irons, do not use while sleeping. Wait, what? Really? Yeah. It, find a curling iron and look at the warnings that says, or the instructions that says, do not use while sleeping. And I'm like, that means there's somebody out there that's like, I'm going to curl my hairs overnight <laughs> and then like burn their hair off and like, they should have had a warning about Oh my this. gosh. Oh my gosh. I call that, that you know, the so Darwin funny. Awards, uh, the Darwin yes. Awards uh, uh, warning things of like, you know, just 
somebody did that. And so that's why they had to put it there. I think they should put their names on there, but that's my opinion. Well, I think you you even pointed out to me, because um, I, I have to confess, I have not seen this series. I've heard it's amazing. But Downton Abbey, even the, mm-hmm. the servants within the, the household there, and if you read any sort of Victorian literature, you'll know that the the families who, who um, maybe they're the gardeners or the homes, like they take great pride in being with a family for generations. Mm-hmm. And so you almost see yeah. somewhat of an example of this. Um, Carson. There. It was Carson from Downton Abbey, he loved being with that family. And there were some of the servants that didn't like being with them. They did what they had to do. They wanted, you know, some of them had, you know, they wanted to do their own thing. But there were some of the servants that, uh, you know, had been with them for 50 years and they took such great pride. And the family, you know, did treat them like family. I mean, there was still a boundary between, you know, servant and part of the family. But you could see the love mm. that was there. And again, just because this existed doesn't mean that all situations were like this. There were horrible situations of slavery that were being had. So we can't whitewash everything and make it like, oh, it's all like Downton Abbey because it's not. Yeah. But we have to recognize there this did exist. And so and there were some folks that stayed with the family because they loved them. They were well provided yeah. for. That's like, why would I leave? Yeah. I mean, that would be like having a really great full-time job with benefits, again, because you didn't have currency back then. So yeah. let's let's move on to one of the ones that's always kind of bothered me, and you brought up some really great points when we were talking about this, is this idea of calling a slave property. Yeah. And this would be another one of those words where um, what it means in English is not what was meant in the Hebrew and in the Greek. So let's talk, what does it mean when it calls a slave property? And does it mean that that person owns that person? Okay, this is where I think is is really interesting is when you start studying the the context of property. And I'm going to kind of delay just for a quick second, because one thing that I found that I really uh, thought was fascinating is, you know, within the ancient world and and even beyond, again, we're we're talking about um, chattel property slavery that happened just within the last 150, 200 years, is they always had three characteristics and you're what's interesting about these three characteristics is they all tie into the first one so number one a slave was property number two a slave owner's rights over the slave person and the work were total and absolute they had complete and absolute control which would make sense if the slave was just property and three the slave was stripped of their identity racial familial social uh, marital, everything. I mean, and, and you see that especially in a Bellum, you, you know, the families are auctioned off and they're pieced off. You know, mm-hmm. the father will go to yeah. the children there and that sort of thing. And so these are, this is sort of the, the standards of what you would see with chattel slavery. And what I want us to kind of be focusing on and, and really listening to as we're going through these notes here is um, when you look at sort of the, the Hebrew uh, understanding of what slavery, servanthood, that sort of thing, what they taught, how they were protected, you'll see that you don't see this correlation within there. And so mm-hmm. when we look at... Um, when we look at some of the main verses, and here it is, it's Exodus 21, 21. Um, this is the one that is 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 the big hot button verse because it talks about if you if a slave owner beats a slave and he's able to get up within two days, then fine. Um, it says here specifically, it's, however, if the servant gets up after a day or two, the owner shall not be pr- punished since the servant is his property. So again, that, that word property really um, freaks people out and for good reason, because again, it strips yeah. off that identity that we have that 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 um, we are created after God's image. We are a human yeah. being and we're stripping it's an ownership. It's an ownership, not of their work, but an ownership of their being. Yes. And those are two different things. To own someone's work is different than to own their identity. Right. Yeah. And that's how it's often understood. But here's the thing is mm-hmm. that 
isn't exactly the best translation. When you actually look at uh, the scripture in this, um, a better translation of it is uh, for the servant is his money. And what the reason why it says this is the servant is his money. This actually isn't referring to the servant itself. It's referring to the investment within the servant. Mm-hmm. And so what yeah. it, what ended up happening, and it, actually, if you look up a few verses higher, you can see more of a con- uh, context thing here. It talks about two guys fighting. These two guys, they get in a tiff. One dude picks up a rock and clubs the other guy with it and the guy is, is knocked out now if the, if the person died obviously he was going to be held responsible and everything but if the man had said that if he got up within a couple days walked around on a cane then um it was the person who hit him with the rock it was his responsibility to take care of his lost wages to cover his mm-hmm. medical expenses and that was his punishment was he had to now take care of this person because he caused this irre- uh, this damage to him and mm-hmm. so when it came to slaves, uh, especially within um, Hebrews owning slaves, is if they killed their slave, the Hebrew, uh, the slave master was to be put to death. Now, you never mm-hmm. would have seen this in other cultures. That wasn't the yes. case because that was just a piece of property. It would be like you breaking a cup. It's like, oh, yeah. well, you know, that person, whatever, we'll just go to the, the slave auction and get another one. It doesn't matter because they're they're not human yeah. beings. It was my cup and I broke it, so it's fine. Exactly. But, but you see constantly throughout scripture is that the, the slave owner and the and the slave themselves, um, this idea of servanthood is constantly bound in this in this idea in this message that it's not just the the slave is the slave to the master. The master is a slave to God. He is a servant of God. The servant mm-hmm. is a servant to the master. So there's this hierarchy of understanding that look, you're all servant to something, to someone, mm-hmm. and and especially to to God. So we are to treat each other with that respect. So with yeah. that understanding of the provided for, when we actually look at this, since the servant is his money he's saying that the punishment to the master for him uh punishing his servant that way is now his master has lost out on a faithful servant he's losing wages every day that this servant is is laid up not only the medical expenses that sort of thing that is that is the the master's punishment and now he's having to take care of this again this Mm -hmm. isn't this isn't that whole oh you can just beat a servant within an inch of his life and as long as he survives a day or two you're good to go this isn't this whole approval of hurting your people it was okay if this person is punished for uh whatever reason they they were um they messed up or or there was some sort of punishment again again this goes back into another issue of uh, back in the day punishments were a whole lot harsher than it is now Um, so that even is tied into it it's almost this double foiled issue as we think oh it's awful for someone to get beaten um but then you know you also have to keep in mind that you know back in the day for the navy you oh gosh what is it what was it called um key uh (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but basically what it was is if you were if you were insubordinate in the Navy, what they would do is they would bound your your feet and hands and they would toss you overboard and drag you on the underside of the boat uh, to where all the Wait. barnacles and things and you would just get tore up and then they'd yank you up the other side. That was one of the pi- that wasn't like American Navy though. That was like back in the pirate days. Yeah, right? yeah, that was like way back in the day. But I mean, even ancient Rome. When you look at ancient Rome, yeah. you know, or Middle East, you know, if you're thieving, what is what is the thing? It's not just you know you might get community service or a fine. No, you get your hand chopped off you know so yeah. again we have to keep in mind that back in the day punishments were a lot harsher that sort of thing um so <clears> there's <throat> that that goes with it but also well let's let's talk real quick about why they were harsher is again this goes back to this idea of we can't hold people accountable to having systems that didn't exist then so the ways that we were punished when we were kids are still more humane than the ways our parents were punished yeah but i still got spankings mm-hmm. when i was younger and nowadays sometimes people call that child abuse yes uh, now that we have you know stuff like ipads where we say you're gonna lose your ipad that's what we use now versus uh 
it's kind of funny. There's a friend of mine who was in the Biola program that li- that grew up in South Korea, and he still has memories of um, after test days. <laughs> on the day after test day, all the kids would wear extra clothes because if you got below a certain grade, oh you got in gosh. line to get paddled. Oh my gosh. That's so So it's like they would physically beat these kids, but not in a way to where it was like, you know, gratuitous kind of right. thing. And when they finally started making rules against doing this, the kids started getting so insubordinate, both at school and at home, that the parents were writing letters saying, please, please beat our kids again. <laughs> um, uh, so it's like this idea of there's certain types of physical punishment that aren't abuse. Mm-hmm. And there's also you have to use what you can. Like I think about what's going on in the public school system. They have been taking away slowly every single way for a teacher to discipline a student. And now they're they're so confused as why these kids are going crazy in class. There was something I saw on Twitter the other day of them having to take the six-year-old out in handcuffs. And people are saying, oh, this is child abuse. This is this. This is that. I'm like, you have no idea what that child was doing in class and what the teacher was not allowed to do. Yeah. And so at one point, if, if a child is hitting and kicking and punching other kids and you as a teacher are not allowed to physically restrain them because it might injure the child. I kid you not. I had training on this. Um, you have to call the police. That's all you can do, even if it's a six-year-old. Yeah, because you'll and get so all the people. Th- yeah, exactly. Uh, all the people that were complaining, I'm like, you know what? Go be a public school teacher for a while and then complain about this. Mm. Uh, see all the ways that have been taken away in order to discipline. So all that saying is back then, they didn't have a lot of ways to discipline. Basically, the only way to discipline was kind of physical punishment. Right. But even if even if the punishment got taken away, there were still caveats. Because remember, if if someone lost a tooth or if their eye was damaged, they were to be released mm-hmm. free and clear. Yeah. So free and clear. Yeah. And you didn't you didn't again, you did not have this within other cultures. So this isn't mm-hmm. advocating this verse here specifically isn't advocating, you know, to beat your servant within an inch of his life. Because, again, if you caused irreparable harm, you um, and they survived it, more than likely they're going to be released uh, because yeah. you were being way too excessive. But mm-hmm. um, it's also to understand, too, that, you know, this uh, this master's punishment is now he's he's lost out on a, on a servant. He's lost out on the work, on the finances and that sort of thing. And most folks, I think even nowadays like if you really want to hurt somebody you garnish their wages right because nobody wants yeah. to wants to lose um lose out on money so it's just important to understand uh, the context there it wasn't it isn't referring that he is just an object to be disposed yeah. of it's referring to the investment of that person yeah and i would like to also bring up something that john and i were reading we're, we're going through the old testament and we were listening to the passages about um how much you know to redeem males and females for and it's like the the females were always worth less and i'm like ah oh, see this is really uncomfortable about it makes it seem like the the female is worth less because mm. uh, the amount that you pay for her is less and john was explaining he's like no what you got to understand is this amount is exactly kind of what you were saying it's it's equal to what kind of work can you get out of this person oh. and that's um so like if you think about it if i were if there was a lot of heavy manual labor who who's who am i going to get more work out of mm-hmm. a woman or a man yeah i'm going to get more work out of a man so therefore his work uh, what he can do is worth more than maybe at the time what a woman can do she couldn't you know toss giant hay bales over her head or whatever they were needing to do or wrestle down a you know, wrestle down a, a cow so you can brand it. I don't know if they did that back then. But I'm sure there's girls that do this. This is not an insult to female cow oh, yeah. girls. Hashtag 4-H, you know, <laughs> go girls. There you go. Um, but no, so I get what it, you're saying. It, it, 
Yeah, it made more sense when it was talking about the kind of work they can do, because I would absolutely, if, if the main jobs were physical labor, absolutely, you should pay me way less than John. Yeah. <laughs> Hands down. Um, that has nothing to do with my worth. Yeah. It's about it your... It just has to do of with my capabilities mm. and how much work I can bring. Yeah. And so when uh, this goes, you know, this goes to the male and female thing, but this also goes to, um, and, and they had certain rules for if you were like over or under a certain age, which would be the exact same thing. You know, you're going to get a lot less work from a 12 year old than you were a 20 year old. Mm-hmm. And you'll get a lot less work from a 60 year old than you would a 20 year old. Yeah. Um, so when it talks about just these amounts and stuff, it's not talking about worth. It's talking about, like, like you said, this translating uh, property as money. Yeah. This is your investment. Yeah. So. Yep. Hopefully that that clears that one up. So our next one, this is a really important one. And we're going to include this chart on the free podcast notes as well as in the um, as well as in the Patreon ones, just because I think it's really important. It's a great it's a great um, chart. But it's what kind of protections did slaves have? So talk about the ones that they're comparing here, Amy, and then like what the different categories are. So I love this chart. This was uh, from a ministry called Beef Thinking. And what they did is they compared Old Testament, how you would, um, how the Hebrews and things would have slaves in the Old Testament versus Romans, how they uh, handled their slaves and the New World, how they handled their slaves. And it just contrasts all the three. And it breaks. And by New World, you mean the pre-Civil War child yeah. slavery, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's got all these um, these different categories here, like did slaves get holidays, enough food, legal redress, sexual protection, um, kidnapping, uh, if that was permitted, um, chains, torture, and physical abuse. And what's fascinating is when you actually compare them, so holidays in the for the slaves of Hebrews, you got holidays. You got holidays off. Mm-hmm. Roman and New World? Um, Roman, yes. N- or excuse me, Roman, no. New World, occasionally, yes. Um, you could have those. About enough food is, yes, we were supposed to be, the Hebrews were told, you have to treat them well. They are human beings. Enough food? Yes. Roman and New World? Nope. If you got fed, you were you were fortunate. If you got one meal a day, you were fortunate. It did not have you to be enough. You got what you got and you didn't complain. Exactly. If you just got something, that was good. Most times not. Legal redress, meaning that you were, um, there was accountability for how you were treated. Within uh, the Old Testament, yes, you, there w- there was accountability. Um, mm-hmm. But with Roman and New World, that was not the case. Now, nope. this is this is what I think is is really important. And I think what's so often glossed over is um, these next uh, five here is sexual protection. In the Old Testament, yes, you had that male and female. You had protection. You were not to be objectified. You were not to to be used. Now, if you were a slave in Roman culture, you were in rough straits, whether male or female, you were just at the mercy of your masters. Male, and, female, or child. Or child. Yes. Uh, child. It was P- Paterasty was just rampant. Yep. Yep. Um, and yeah, you you had that within the um, within Old Testament context, within the Hebrews, Roman New World. Nope. Uh, kidnapping, chains, torture and physical abuse. That is all. Yes. All the way down for Roman and New World for Old Testament. It was not. Uh, remember, Girl, it, would you say physical abuse? Wouldn't you say that some of the Old Testament things did say, you know, the t- how far you could go? Because it does seem like you were allowed to do some kind of physical. abuse. There, I think what they're meaning there with physical abuse is is that sort of. Um, unwarranted, uh, over-the-top, oh, okay. you know, gregarious abuse, um, where it's like punishment versus abuse. Yeah, Those yeah. Those would be different things. Right, right. And I mean, we even see the the blurring of lines today, like, um, you know, I've, 
I, f- I feel so bad for parents nowadays because you can't even you can't even discipline your kids in stores anymore for out fear of someone busting out their phone and uh, you know uh, making you go viral and it you know so our standards yeah. now is if you, you if you smack your little one's hand uh, and say no no you know you'll get a you'll get a dirty look or possibly a report whereas um, yeah but anyway so the, again the physical abuse there is is referring to this sort of excessive over the top nature and um but there was physical punishment again that was just that was just the culture back then they they had this more physical punishment that was our culture up until you know 60 years or so ago i mean hillary you yeah. talked about being spanked you know i was spanked and it was so funny our pastor he was like you know nowadays not many people uh we know that you're not too big into spanking don't worry we can tell i mean you <laughs> and it was just so funny but it's it's like you know it's been this cultural shift now away from that yeah. i mean gosh even in the in the 20s 30s 40s you would have young kids who would go and work out in the fields whether white or black whatever they would be whereas nowadays that would be considered abuse and exploitation child and labor I, I would just say like even talking back to my parents generation they all remember the paddles with holes in them yes oh my gosh yes <laughs> they all had names too <laughs> and so it's like this idea of like uh, you could do that. It's like you didn't want to get the paddle because you didn't have all these other things that you could. It's like and the, the one with holes meant, whoo, wow, you, it's like it goes faster and it leaves more of a mark. But again, it's not something that's permanent. It's something that hurts. You know, maybe the Lord gave us a little extra padding on our tuchus because sometimes it needed to be smacked because that, you know, especially with kids that don't understand reasoning, they understand um physical punishment a lot better than they can reasons behind things it's like and again this is not saying just go beat your kids because that's that's obviously bad my mom had a thing where if she was going to give me a spanking i had to go into my room and she went into her room and she waited until she calmed down because she was never going to hit me in anger Mm. um and she never used her hand she used a wooden spoon it was all it took was a little tap because you take a little tap and man that stings yeah um yeah because she learned never associate your hand with that punishment oh interesting uh, you know all those great parenting books that she read and you know totally worked and i didn't have to get spanked very often but it the threat yeah of it was always real and so that that right there is not abuse that's that's speaking to kind of a certain age kids on a language that they can understand because they can't understand all the hey let's reason through this <laughs> um yeah. If there were other things, as we've seen society progress, and as there become other ways to punish, we've used those. But back in the day when they didn't have those other things, uh, physical punishment was the option. Because what what else do you do? Do you starve them? No, that's inhumane. Uh, you know, what else did you have except for some physical punishment? But there was a limit to amount. It's like you punish, you don't abuse. There's a difference between those two. Yeah, and I think that's what's so neat is when you compare those three is you see that they're um, – that there was this punishment for the abuse of slaves and it was the only institution that had that. And I mean, and it's great because you look in other... you look in Exodus here. Let's see. I'm, I'm skimming through all my verses. Is you know, slave trading was um, selling and owning captured um, Hebrews and that sort of thing. It it was punishable by death. I mean, that no one had that. I mean, it was oh, if you were slave trading, hey, that's one of the businesses you could do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not. It even says here Deuteronomy 24:14. Do not oppress the hired hand who is poor and needy, whether he's a brother or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Blessed is he who cares for the poor. That's um, Psalms 41.1. Um, mm. You know, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. I mean, that, that doesn't mean that that verse gets tossed out just because now they are a part of your household. No, this is how you were supposed to treat people. And yeah. and it's it's just, I mean, you see this over and over again, that it can get lost when you see that slave, that word slave, and you just miss all these others. 
Yeah. I think uh, it's like I kind of want to go into the idea of um, what's the word, but I don't think we'll have it for here for women, especially when you had um, the difference between being a concubine versus a sex slave, because I think Mm. a lot of times people think of those as the same thing. Yeah. Um, A concubine was basically someone I I think they had all the privileges of a wife, wife. but none of the inheritance rights. Yeah. Like their children didn't get inheritance rights. We can't really have time to go into that. And that would be one of those things that if you had no other way to provide for yourself, you could basically be under a household. And again, this wasn't the ideal. Scripture shows over and over that this is not the ideal. But, um, you know, as we see with uh, what's going on, God still gives grace on non-ideal situations. For example, having two parent households is the ideal, but there are single parents out there and there is grace for them. Mm. And so likewise in the Old Testament, uh, and, and New Testament, you know, the ideal is to one man and one woman. But when you have a bunch of women who can't provide for themselves, you know what? The non-ideal is to take them in and provide for them and treat them as wives. Again, not the ideal, but you do what you can with what you got. Yeah. And there um, were even some so, instances where your kid could actually get the full inheritance rights if he's picked. But, oh, you know, that's for I another day. That. That's for another day. Okay. So let's do this final one. Why didn't God have New Testament uh, Christians release all slaves? And this is something that I've never heard before. So I'm really interested in you you kind of explaining this. So this was, this is a tough one. I think this is what most people um, really get hung up on. And and it is, it's a it's a tough issue. And what I thought was fascinating is that I'm, as I'm doing this research, I was, uh, I came across this um, thing to where there was this such thing as called a, a slave Bible. And what it was is, is back in, back in the South, when you had slaves, they had these special Bibles that they were issuing out to the slaves to where all of the verses where it spoke about the, the slave and the master being one in Christ. And, uh, and that sort of thing, all of those that were, and talking about um, potential freedom and that sort of thing. Cause again, as, as we covered mm-hmm. for any non-Hebrew, sli- uh, freedom was possible, and um, and that sort of thing. All of those were taken out. Um, <gasps> and you're kidding? No, and like all of those verses were taken out. Only the ones that were left in were the ones talking about how you be- need to be submissive oh and quiet gosh. and obey. And so again, we see that twisting of scripture. Like you mentioned, Handmaid's Tale. It's that twisting of the the <sighs> picture. And so that makes me mad. I'm full on fuming right here. And at the same time, I'm kind of wishing. That would be a really great collector's item. I would like to find that. They have it. Oh my gosh! I'm going to have to look it up. But they do have it in a museum. um, Oh my gosh! Where it's just cherry picking verses. I'm getting angry. Angry. Calm down. But oh my gosh, that is such a perversion of scripture. Oh my gosh, I need to punch somebody. So maybe not. Okay. (laughs) So the hard part about this question, right, is. this is, this is a highly emotional question, and yeah. we have to be really careful that when there's an emotional issue, to realize that the logical answer isn't going to provide a whole lot of comfort. Um, well, Amy, it's funny you should say that. I hear you have a fabulous example of a time that you tried to do this. Okay, so for... Uh, so this is not one of my finer <laughs> moments. There's a reason God gave me boys, right? So, okay, so I am not... I'm not super in tune to the girly thing, right? So, all right, back in the day, um, a few years ago, I was I worked in our homeschool co-op, and I was the history teacher for our sixth through eighth grade history class. It was so much fun. Um, we had like four or five girls in the class, and the rest were boys, and we got along great. The whole year was awesome. And then one day, I walk into class, 
And all the girls were, they were huddled at the table. They were holding each other's hands and they were just sobbing, like full out sobbing. And I'm standing there like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of feelings going on here. And I'm like, somebody, somebody had to have died. Like there's no reason why this many tears would be shed, you know, unless somebody, there was something that happened. So I'm doing like head counts. And so I, I finally ask them and they're, I mean, it's hard to even get a word out. And I was like, okay, you know, what happened? And one of the girls finally goes, Miss Amy. And she's sobbing. She's like, one direction broke up. And I'm just standing there like, huh? <laughs> And okay, so for those who didn't know, back in the day, One Direction was a boy band, and it was it, it, not just a boy band, they were a British boy band, which is like way more of a big deal. And so this, yep. this, this is like the Beatles breaking up all over. Oh here. my gosh, they were devastated. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm sitting there like One Direction broke up, but there's like, you know, eight other directions you can go. Like, what's the issue? It's a boy band. That was the issue. And so I'm okay, I just have to, I have to remind y'all that this is what it looks like to answer emotion with a logical with logic. Yeah, it goes and how great. it doesn't work. So, so again, yeah, keep so, going. So, so I'm sitting story. there and I'm like, okay, how how can I comfort these girls when I'm when I'm really bad at doing the feelings thing? So I thought surely a logical answer is going to do like do the trick, right? So I was like, well, girls, One Direction is a boy band. And boy bands always break up. So there was no help for them to begin with. And I'm like sitting there like, yay, I did it. You know, I soothed the masses and they <laughs> lost it. Like I couldn't even teach the rest of class. We're, we're trying to learn about like Caligula or something. And it was just <laughs> totally lost the whole time. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my gosh. And it was just utter failure for this logical answer to soothe this emotional thing. And yeah, for the next three, four weeks, I got to see the whole stages of grief in preteen girls, which is absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Um but yeah, so <laughs> to, to tie that back in, it's, it's, it's very difficult when we have such an emotional issue to, to hit it with a logical answer because it's always going to fall short, right? Like mm -hmm. logic just, yeah. even though it may be the right answer, um, it, it doesn't do the trick for us because it, it doesn't it doesn't put back the, it doesn't right the wrong. It doesn't give us back what we lost. I mean, when you think of losing somebody, pain. it doesn't take away the pain. It's never equal to the person that you lost or the experience that you went through. Um, it, and so that's why, you know, when it comes to these sorts of issues, it's almost one of those to where to where time and stuff really helps. Like in the, in the case of um, uh, me having a miscarriage, you know, the, the few days afterward, you know, any sort of consolation or, or that sort of thing just fell flat. But it was over these many years that I've been able to talk to other men women and and empathize with them where where I see the the beauty in that loss and the purpose in that loss mm -hmm. you know there's time and that sort of thing and so what I'm going to say um these are just some of these answers that we have um they may not uh they may not suit everything they may not suit every need but again that that's just that tension there between the emotional yeah. and the logical and so one of the yeah. things that I found that that was really fascinating I, I didn't even know this um was that there was again the, the question is why didn't God have New Testament Christians release all slaves yeah. I'm just reminding them the question that we're answering yeah and so what was interesting is within Rome at the time there was actually restrictions prohibiting the release of slaves like there was only a certain um it's, it's uh, what I found here is there was a legal restrictions concerning the number of slaves freed and against freeing them before the age of 30. So there were these restrictions. You just couldn't do it. They, they, if you did, and I mean, you could, um, in theory, you could let them go. Um, but the thing is, is they weren't Roman citizens. And actually what they could have done is just been recaptured and sold back into slavery, whether that be with a Rome or Hebrew and potentially been in an even worse situation. So mm. freeing the slaves, it wouldn't have been legal within, within that system, within that paradigm. Time. That would be like freeing a slave. Like if we did want to compare this to the, you know, the the South freeing freeing your slave 
without any kind of legal protection. They had no legal protection. Someone else sees that that person walking around says, oh, good, you're my slave now and gets into an even worse situation. Yeah, or they could have been killed or, you know, Mm -hmm. any of that. So freeing slaves, um, what I found, wouldn't have been legal, nor would it have worked via the state laws because they wouldn't actually have been free. So even though they Mm. couldn't abolish slavery, they started a new form of society within the Roman Empire that effectively challenged the status of human beings um, and masters and slaves or, or other human bring, beings. And that's a quote from a lecture from Lanier Theologica. And I think that's, I think that really hits on the issue is, you know, we, we want to, we want to focus on, on slavery. Um, but really it's the mindset fueling the, fa- the, the structure of slavery that has to change. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, and this is a poor example, but it, I mean, it kind of parallels it's, it's those folks that, that want to, um, <coughs> say well it's it's the we we have to just take guns away from people and it's not really the guns it's the mindset behind the guns that's causing the problems Mm -hmm. if you're not changing the minds if you're not changing the the worldview that's going on the the thing that's in progress right now what's going on isn't going to be fixed it isn't going to be abolished and it takes a whole lot longer Mm -hmm. to change minds than it does to change laws like people say you can't legislate morality which i think i understand what they're meaning but at the same time, all laws legislate morality. That's what laws do. Yeah. So I think it would be more accurate to say you can't legislate changes of heart. Yeah. You can't legislate someone to have a change of heart. And this is what the Lord is not going necessarily just for legislating morality. He's going for a change of heart. Yeah. And it's and it's supposed to be this free change, right? We have this free will. So if we think about, well, why didn't why didn't God just command this? It's not that He would just have to command it because He's commanded all sorts of things that people don't keep today. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could all come up with uh, no less than five sins that we've committed since this morning, you know. Um, <laughs> even though He's commanded us to do otherwise, so I mean, to even do that, it's it's not just. And we've mentioned this before in other podcasts. It would almost involve a mind wipe of like an entire culture. And mm-hmm. um, and I I think it really speaks to the deep issue of that that frustration with um, with the problem of evil and suffering we're we're longing for restoration we're longing yeah. for heaven we're longing for perfection and so when we are in this fallen world world and we see this is you know we want to say oh it's this and that and other thing and really it's just this it's this contention within us with uh, the loss and the suffering that we experience in this world yeah yeah well, we have gone way over time, so but we did make it through all our questions, Yay. even if it wasn't like a full explanation of each of those. I hope that this was helpful. I hope that this does not come off as as um, as belittling the issue. Yeah, yeah, it's belittling the issue or trying to make excuses. It's it, it's really aimed at trying to understand the issue. And as Christians, we want to say that anytime it's like an ownership of someone's identity, that is never our right. Mm. They belong to Christ as we belong to Christ. And so a lot of the uh, slavery, especially as it was uh, done in the antebellum South, was absolutely it, it was against it was against what Scripture says. Again, we have the Scripture that we talked about one of the previous ones about how kidnapping <clears throat> to to make a slave was punishable by death. So mm-hmm. basically, everything that went on in the antebellum South should have been punishable by death, according to the Old Testament. Mm. Again, we we belong to Christ. We are servants of Christ. We are bond servants of Christ. We are slaves to Christ. We are not slaves to this world, and we are not slaves to others, although we do have legitimate authorities that are in place. And again, we can't tell previous cultures, we can't fault previous cultures for not using solutions that we have now. 
So I hope this gave you some ways that you can talk about this with your kids. I, I wish we could have gone into more specific conversations to have with the kids. I think understanding that language issue that we talked about at the beginning is probably yeah, one huge. of the biggest things you can do. Yeah. It's like, cause once you start getting that, there's, I mean, it's a, I mean, bottomless pit of all the things that you can talk about once you start getting that mindset. Um, so Amy, would you like to pray us out? And thank you so much for the research that you did on this. This was amazing. I just, I'm so thankful for you. Oh, not a problem. Yeah, let's do this. Oh, Father, there are so many, there's so many issues that are going on in this world that, that really, it really just hits you in your heart. There, there are so many struggles. There's, there's issues that are going on now that people are still suffering and challenges that are going to be raised to our kids, that they are, they are tough issues. And I'm so thankful to all of the parents who are listening right now, because those that are, are listening and they're growing, they're, they're wanting to raise up uh, those warriors within their household, Lord. And we want to raise up children who, who don't run from a fight, but who are willing to stand firm and to give that testimony and to be able to reason and to think well. And so I pray for, I pray for these families, Lord, that you will just encourage them and inspire them to continued growth, to continued study. I mean, there's so much that we could have said today um, and weren't able to get to, but uh, that doesn't hinder them. They can still go out. And so I pray that you will give them the encouragement and the um, that sort of oomph to go out there and to study. I pray that you will help them to be bold in initiating these conversations with their kids, um, especially, you know, with this past uh, month um, that we've had for Black History Month. And just as they're reading throughout the Old Testament that we that we're able to go through and discuss this context, because these are the issues that are going to be lobbed against our kids when they're out of our house, when they're in the colleges who have professors that just want to see their faith sink. And so I pray that you will help these parents get their kids equipped before they leave out the door. So that way they are ready and, and able to use those um, those uh, weapons of the faith that we have. We have that armor um, that you have given us uh, that we are able to wield. And I just, I, I pray for those parents that they just go out and they continue. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to minister and to pour in. And we just pray for the rest of this week for these folks that they are able to go out and to use this information, to put it into practice. Because Lord, we know that when you give us, when you give us meat, when you give us information, you're giving it to us, not just to hoard up to ourselves, but to give it out to others and to use it. And you're going to put us in situations where this is going to come up. And I pray that you will help these parents and these kids speak out in truth and in grace and in patience and in your faith totally. In your holy name. Amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.